You're listening to Dr. Leslie Inspires, a show where we empower mothers by raising their level of awareness, discussing tough mother-son issues that everyone knows exists, but no one is talking about. Dr. Leslie is joined by Mr. Wayne, who provides insight from a male perspective. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.drlesleyinspires.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leslie. So welcome, 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 everyone. So excited that you are all here on today. We have a treat for you. I have the pleasure of hosting a young lady who is our guest on today. And I met her uh, on one of our breakthrough calls. And since then, we have just connected and I knew then that I wanted to have her as a speaker on, uh, on our podcast because she's such a powerful lady, has such a powerful testimony. And most of all, she does not mind sharing. She understands that everything that has happened to her is really happening for her and it's really part of her testimony. No test, no testimony. And she is breaking through on today. So I'm just so happy. So we're going to first start off in prayer. So go ahead and bow your heads. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, oh God, for today, for our special guest, Miss Teresa, asking that you would give her a special anointing to just be in the spirit as she, as you put on her heart what you would have her to say. Let this podcast be all of you and none of us, giving us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding on what to say and how to say it, giving us wisdom on just speaking to the audience and being who you have called us to be in this season. So we just thank you, oh God, and we rebuke the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, because we know that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind, and we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. So we thank you, and it is in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So I will just start a little by just giving a brief intro um, about my guest. She is a therapist, a powerful, powerful woman of God, powerful therapist who actually works with people who have mental health issues. And she works with them from uh, with ages 18 through 80. And she has worked with young people as old as seven, I mean, as youngest seven, 18 through 80 in the prison system. So even as she deals with people that have mental health issues, she herself has found herself um, with various situations in her own personal family. And then having two sons of her own, at some point, Uh, When her son was 38 years old, her son went to jail for something that he did not do. And that changed the trajectory of Teresa's life. And so we can go on and on. So I already know that we're going to have to have a part two to this podcast. And Ms. Teresa has already agreed 
and it's perfectly fine with doing that. So without further ado, I'm going to let Miss Teresa talk and just come to us uh, in her own way and, and start from where I picked up, just kind of giving us some background. So Miss Teresa, how are you? I am very blessed, Dr. Leslie. How about yourself? How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast on today. So in my introduction, I talked about you being a therapist. First of all, can you just talk just a little bit about being a therapist, working with the people that you do? Okay, so um, my background, I have been... uh, in the mental health field for over 20 years, um, I've started out working in the mental health field um, at a very young age. <laughs> um, I have worked in hospital settings, rehab settings, acute settings, um, all the way up to prison settings. Um, God has just placed me in various different places. Um, at one point, <clears throat> I even had a um, business where I worked with at-risk youth, um, and it was called Anger Solution. Um, A lot of these kids were kids that was um, in gangs, kids that was having problems in school, and et cetera, et cetera. So my job pretty much was to try to get them to just uh, know who they were to just give them the tools of life to help them master through everyday world. Um, And it was truly a great experience. And then I was called to uh, work at a correction facility um, with all men. And um, it was truly an experience. And I guess for me, I always pray about everything that I do. So I had prayed before I even went. Now, mind you, at this time, um, I'm a mother of two sons, 38 and 34. Well, hold on, take that back. 38 and 33 is my youngest son. I almost forgot their age there. And my oldest son at the time was in another state. Um, He wasn't even living here with us. He had been living in another state for about six years at the time. So when I started working at the prison, look, I didn't know that God was preparing me for something that my son was going to go through. So (laughs) with me uh, working at this prison, it was truly an experience. Um, Being a person that's a therapist slash mother, you don't want to be their therapist. You want to be their mother. (laughs) Um, Picking a field of mental health is something that I chose because as a young child, witnessing um, an aunt at eight years old being um, dragged down the stairs and thrown into what looked like a bus at the time, um, kicking and screaming and put on a white coat, which I later learned was called a straitjacket, left a profound mark on my heart and my body and my soul. Seeing her yelling and saying, help me, it just really um, hurt my soul. 
And then I later found out that she was suffering from mental illness. She was suffering from um, schizophrenia. And I saw how she was being mistreated, not just by the system, but by people in general. And I said to myself, even then, I wanted to make a difference in others' lives. And that was my path to make, make a change, make a difference. Didn't know that it was something that was going to be a constant make a difference because I didn't just see it with her. I saw it with other members in my family as well. Mm-hmm. About how old were you again, Teresa? When, when I was eight. eight. I was eight, eight years old. old. And that left a mark in your mind at eight years old. Yes, it did. Something that you're actually telling the story about very vividly right now as an adult. Yes. So that goes to tell you how even though uh, our young people see things when they're younger, and we also know as adults, too, that it sticks with us and it shapes who we are. It shapes who we are are as children and adults. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So then as you became a therapist and then you worked with all these different types of people, also recognizing mental health in your own family with people very close to you. At age 38, your son went to jail for something that he did not do. Can you tell us about that and what it looks like on today? Okay. Um, Actually, he was 36 because he served two years. He's 38 now. So, yeah, it would have been he it happened when he was 36. It was an incident that happened when he was out of state. And like I said, I had just started at the prison and did not know God was preparing me to deal with my son. Um, Once he went there, uh, well, first of all, when I got the phone call, it was like someone had just snatched my heart out of my chest. Um, As a mother, and I know there's plenty of mothers um, can relate to this. I think our biggest fear is not wanting to see our children behind bars, not wanting to see them in jail, not wanting to see that happen to them, to any of them. Um, And that was always one of my worst fears uh, was that something would happen to my sons or they would, you know, end up in jail or they would end up, well, you know, not want to say it, but dead because of something because of the color of their skin or because of something that someone said to them and said that they said the wrong thing or whatever it was. Um, My son, um, I can't really go into the details about it, but um, um, because we had to sign, you know, papers and all this other stuff, but uh, he, he, he went and um, they actually gave him a lot longer years um, but due to prayer and God getting behind all this, um, he served two years and he was released to me. Um, and that prior to all of that, like I said, when I found out that he was in there and he called me and I couldn't let him know that I couldn't let him know that it bothered me so bad and it, it, it hurt me because 
what I've noticed with my sons, they pick up on what you you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And he knew he would he would know if he knew I was scared and fearing, then he would have been scared and fearing. And I couldn't have him in there afraid and scared and not able to function knowing that his mother is out here just losing her mind. Mm. I'm sorry, Teresa. When you say losing your mind, what does that look like for a mother? Oh, my God. What it looks like is crying every day, every night on my knees. Um, I didn't even ask God why, because that's a question that I would never get an answer to. I just asked, what do what am I to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And I just kept hearing pray. So I had posters. I had stickers all up on my window scriptures different scriptures all on my on my mirrors on my walls on the side of my bed i was praying i was reading different scriptures in the bible about the different men that went to prison and how mm-hmm. the lord had freed them and um you know how even jesus went to jail you know and um so I, the Lord had me read so many different scriptures on all the different uh, prophets and men that had went to jail and how God had took care of them, how he kept them under his wings, under his arms, how he, he stayed with them. And that stayed in my head. Um, so, he he gave me after first losing it. He gave me that peace, and kept telling me my son was going to get through this, and I just had to just had to believe that and trust that. But it was hard. It it it, it was hard at first because I. That's the, those accusing spirits, those things that come in your head and tell you all those lies. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to self talk yourself. No, I'm going to believe that God's going to take care of him. So you really got to do some self-talking and you got to do some serious self-praying and you got to surround yourself with other people that's going to pray positiveness, no negativeness. So when someone would call my house and say to me, oh, I heard this happened to Jason and I heard this and then so talking negative, I would say, I can't talk to you right now. Mm-hmm. And I would hang up because I couldn't put that in my spirit, I can put it in my soul because then that would start my mind to start thinking the negativeness and the bad stuff. And that wouldn't help me. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask um, people calling the people that you were surrounded by. Do you feel like people thought that you were just overdoing it? Maybe you should just let him do his time. Maybe just just leave it alone. You're being too overprotective of this, of him. Oh, yes. I actually had, um, (laughs) I've had several people actually say to me, um, you don't know what happened. You don't know the truth. (laughs) Um, You should just let him just do his time, um, do what he needs to do. No one really knew what I was doing, but they assume, but that's what people do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they assume um, what you're doing. See, I'm one of these one that didn't talk anyway. So they assume what was going on and they believe what they heard. And um, 
you know, so they was like, well, he needs to just serve his time. Now, mind you, they knew this was a, a young man that had never gotten in trouble before. You know, he wasn't having any issues prior to all of this. You know, this is the same young man that just graduated from criminal justice, mm. you know, with a criminal justice major and just graduated. This is the same young man that at six years old was a certified genius, you mm. know, at his school. This is the same young man that was called a bookworm and a nerd and was in gifted and talented programs from five years old up until he graduated from high school. Wow. You know, this is the same young man that was born with the gift at two years old. At two years old, he could read um, a book that probably a, a 10 or a 12-year-old child was reading. This is at two. Mm-hmm. So then let me ask you this, because a lot of times when there is a genius, and I, I know this just from people that I students that I work with and have worked with over the years. When you say that word genius, that's kind of a red flag Mm -hmm. for me because you have those men and women, young men and young women who are so smart that they could go to the left or the right. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, they could walk in that gift of being that genius that God, who God called them to be, or they could go the other way, which is the trap that the enemy has set for them because they are so smart. Yes. Did you see anything in your son that really told you, I got to be careful because he can go either way because he is so smart? You know what, Dr. Leslie, it's funny you said that when he was um, when he was first given that, I always knew he was different even when he was little. Um, like I said, at two years old, he was reading. He was reading my book. I was in college when he was um, a baby. So I would take him to college with me and he was flipping my books, my psychology books and anatomy books. He's looking at my books and asking me questions. So. I already knew. And so when they asked me to get him tested, um, I was like, yes. So I, I wasn't surprised. But so I started studying up on them. And I always knew that being a genius, like borderline from from sanity to insane. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in the middle of that borderline. And so you got to keep their little mind busy. You got to keep them active. You got to keep them busy. And I remember my son telling me when he was six or seven years old, we used to talk all the time. And he used to say, he used to say, mama, my mind is just always thinking. There's all, I'm always thinking. There's just so much going on in my head, so much going on in my head. And so I used to say, well, What's going on in your head? He said, just so much, just so much. So I, I try to keep him busy. Um, he used to love to read. So I kept him in, in book clubs. I kept him, he loved sports. So I kept him in sports. When they're like that, you got to keep them active and keep them busy because their little mind stayed very busy. And because in my family, I already knew there was a lot of different things going on with mental illness. Like I said, it wasn't just my auntie. I later found out when I started 
school and I was studying my classes and we had to do case studies on different people without them knowing about it. I did a case study <laughs> on several members in my family. They didn't know I was watching them. And I later found out that they had mental illness. Mm. And um, one person happened to be very, very close to me. Um, and to this day, she only know I even did a, a case study on her. And mm-hmm. I learned that she had mental illness, which I already knew it. Mm-hmm. But the case study turned out that she was bipolar. Mm. Now, I knew that. There's a lot I just, of that. Yes, there's a lot of that going on. So did, do you feel like with her, you needed to be close to her to see it? Or do you think people at her job see it as well? Or anybody who, who comes in contact with her? Or is it? Oh, no, okay? she she was good. She was good at hiding hers. <laughs> OK, OK. We, no, we only saw it in the family when she would go through her highs and lows, rant and the rave. The manic, uh-huh. Uh-huh. When she would have the manic part, um, we saw it a lot at home. Uh, <laughs> we yeah. saw it a lot in the family. Um, but see, in my family, they thought that stuff was normal. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of them, a lot of them in the family had it. So in their mind, that was a normal. That was a normal for them. Yes. Because no one was actually diagnosed with it. So it was a normalcy for them. That's just the way she is, or that's just the way. And that's what they will say. That's just the way she is. That's just her. You just got to deal with her like that. And I used to hear that so much with so many people in my family. And if you, I don't know if you know, uh, I'm sure you know this, but a long time ago, that's what they did, period, especially in the African American community. They was always brushing that up under the carpet, and they still do that to this mm-hmm. day in in different cultures. Yeah, mental. No one wants to talk about not it. acceptable. Yep. Yeah, no yeah. one wants to talk about it. It's brushed underneath the carpet, so we're not going to talk about it. Some of them even hid the people that had issues. They would hide mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I knew with my son, I knew I had to watch him. I knew there was things. He was very, very smart, but I knew I had to watch him because he could either go, like you said, to the left or to the right. He was in the middle, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I kept him busy. I knew to keep him busy, and he was an whatever he did, he mastered. He was an amazing athlete. He was an amazing scholar with an amazing heart. Um. But I think for him, what triggered him more so is when his dad abandoned him. Um, mm. Abandonment issues, rejection, that will send you over the edge. Even though I was giving him the love that he needed, he was very close to his dad. Um, at two years old, the dad just decided he no longer wanted to be a part of his life because I was walking out of his life. Right. So how did, that, you, how did you deal with that at age two? What, what did you see? Um, he would he would say, you know, um, I remember him one time asking me, Mama, um, why don't my daddy love me? And I and I explained to him, I said, he loves you. I said, you know, I said, he just kind of going through, you know, little little thing, you know, little rough, rough thing right now. 
Um, I said, but he loves you, you know. I said, he's going to start coming in and getting you on the weekends. I said, is that okay with you? And he goes, okay. And so he would get him on the weekends. Little did I know he would ignore him when he would be in the house. And I didn't find this out until years later. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, um, that he would pick him up on the weekends and he would spend time with them, but everybody else was actually spending time with him, like the grandmother and everybody else. And he would go on off with his friends and whatever and would be ignoring his son. But he'd pick him up on the weekends just to push my button. <laughs> right. And then at about nine years old, about eight years old is when um, he finally, Jason finally said, I don't want to go over there no more, mom. And I said, why? And then he told me why. And that's when I found out. That's exactly usually how it happens when they yeah. get older and they can start talking and making connections. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I said, well, that's your choice. Mm. But okay. I knew it was a part that really bothered his heart because that's when he kind of got quiet and kind of shut down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that's why I kept him busy with sports and reading and stuff. But I, I still could see that it really put a profound effect on his on his heart. Yeah. You know, a lot of I I have an, a course that I offer is one that people can just purchase, but it really contains like eight, I think eight or nine videos of men talking and just giving telling their story. And as I interviewed men and, and decided to go with the, those particular men, what I realized throughout, Teresa, was even though the father may not have been present in those young men's lives, or maybe he was, or maybe he was present, but not there, you know, not, not there emotionally, um, maybe there physically, or maybe he was not there at all. The mothers, most of them, mothers were the ones who were there and they caught it. But what I saw was it was the father that they were upset with. And nobody really said this. I just made the connection. Um, even as I talk to, uh, to men, young men and old men today, that father plays such a key role in the lives of these men. And sometimes mothers don't realize it, but they take the brunt of the anger that is coming from these men and young men. Because even yes. as they get older, many of them still don't necessarily identify with, I'm mad at my father. I'm mad that my father left me. I'm mad that he abandoned me. I'm upset with him. And how do you say that to someone who doesn't even care? How do you say that to someone who is not present? How do you even say that when you don't even realize that that is the problem? That's why you're treating women this way. That's why you're treating men that way. And it's mothers who are raising these sons, giving them everything that they've got who are suffering from it. And that is the problem. That's the golden nugget for today. That is so true. You know, it's so funny that you said that because when, when my son came to me at eight years old and, um, he said, I don't want to go over to daddy's house anymore on the weekends. And I said, why? He said, he ignores me. He don't pay me any attention. And I said, 
What do you mean? He said, he takes me over there and he leaves. And I said, have you ever asked him, why don't he do things with you? And he said, yes. I said, what did he say? He said, because he didn't want to. Mm. I said, he, he actually told you that? He said, yes, ma'am, mama. He actually told me that. Wow. So I, he said, and I asked him, then daddy, why do you pick me up? Why do you bring me over here? I said, did he answer you? He said, no, he just walked away. Mm. And I remember that even to this day, <laughs> you yeah. know, because I had a conversation with him after that, because <laughs> then I got my flesh, <laughs> that protective mother of me came out. Mm -hmm. I said, we need to talk. <laughs> and how did he respond? Oh, when I talked to him, he tried to make my son out a liar. He said that never happened. <laughs> mm. And I and I told him right to his face, I believe my son over you. He's not going to come and just make up a lie like that. I said, right. so he will not be coming back over here because you're not present. You're abandoning him just being there. You know, mm -hmm. if you're just coming to get him just just to make my life miserable and and, you know, uh, you know, everybody else in the house life miserable, then that's not fair to none of us. And so he pretty much, uh, that's what it was. And he just <laughs> left it? Like he didn't try to fight to say no? No, he never tried to fight it. He, he knew I was telling the truth because he finally admitted it, um, that he wanted, that he was his father in name and money only anyway. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that he was that he was his father in name and check anyway. And until I came back to him, I never told my son this until I came back to him that that's all he was going to be anyway. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's another point. Uh, many women they have children, sons, and you know when there's a divorce or a separation that takes place, many women who do want their children um, to continue to have a relationship with the father. They are surprised when the father no longer has interaction or desires. He doesn't desire, he doesn't want, he doesn't or seem to care, but he just leaves the child uh, to the mother and Mothers find that hard to believe because now this is a man who, you know, they had a family at, at a certain point and mm -hmm. he was there. But then once he's gone, if he doesn't have her, he wants nothing to do with the child or children either. So, yeah, that that happens a lot. You know, could no one had made me believe that he would have been like that with his son because this was his first child, our first child. And the way that he loved me, the way he was so controlling and possessive, and which he really was, <laughs> mm -hmm. I just knew he was going to love his child, you mm -hmm. know. But little did I know that controlling and possessiveness um, outweighed our child. Mm -hmm. As long as you all were together. Yeah, as long as we were together. You know, as long as we were together, um, he would have been... But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, 
well, you're going to be a good father because you love me. That means you're going to really love your child. But I think what I think what a lot of us women tend to forget, (laughs) father dads have nothing to do with it. (laughs) They don't even once they can't have you, they don't see nothing else beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's what happened. Now, uh, to this day, now. Um, he he ignored him for 25 years. Wow. He he wasn't a part of my son's life for 25 years. And that, um, I know that played a big part in my son's life, you know, and then Was that he just back in his life now? Huh? Is he back in his life now? Oh, he's back in his life now. What? And is that because of the the what's going on? No, actually, um, when he moved when he moved out of state, he moved back to the state where his dad was, and he moved back to that state because he wanted to be part of his father's life. And um, they did connect back together, uh, but he was still the same. In my mind, he was still the same cold-hearted person that he was when he was a child, but my, I wasn't going to tell my son this. My son needed to see it for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did. He, he saw, he was like, wow, this is who he is. <laughs> there are some people you just can't change. Uh-uh. Amen. That's a very, very good point because a lot of young people are, uh, especially men, they're looking for that man to emulate and they go and find them only to find out that he is not the man that they imagined that he would be. A lot of sons don't understand, you know, they feel like they are a great son. I'm a great son. Why wouldn't my father be happy to have somebody like me? What did I do? They take it personal sometimes, you know, and feel like it was something that they did um, that made them leave or not want to be a part of their lives. That's a very good point. You know, what was really strange with, with, with my son's father, every game my son had, I, I learned later that someone always saw him at his games over in the corner somewhere watching. <laughs> mm. So he would go to his games. We never knew he was there. <laughs> wow. Somebody always saw him at his games. Um. Somebody always saw him watching. He'd watch him from afar, but he would never interact with him. <laughs> I wonder what that was about. Well, years later, he finally told me um, it was him being immature. He was just he was just really angry at me for so long that he held he held the grudge for so long that he wanted to hurt me the best way he could, and the only way to hurt me was through my son. He actually mm-hmm. told me that. Yep. I believe that. Yeah. He told me, he said, I knew you loved him. Now, quote, I knew you loved him more than you loved me is what he said to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I knew how to hurt you was to ignore him. I heard, um, I think T.D. Jakes say uh, on something I was watching. uh, I think it was about mothers and sons or something like that. And I remember him saying that husbands want 
the mother or their wife. They want their wives to love and treat them the way that they treat their sons. Mm-hmm. Is that something? Yeah. <laughs> and that's powerful because we can be forgiving to our sons. We, you know, we, we try to help them in their uh, inadequacies because we want them to be uh, this certain person, you know, but they came from us. And so what he was saying was men want, or husbands, they want their wives to love them slash treat them the way that they do their sons. So, wow. So Teresa, let's fast forward. You, you said, um, I mean, well, I want to back up a little bit. You said something about you kept Jason busy. You had to keep him busy. Right. And so I think that's what a lot of mothers do, especially up until 18 or as long as they are in your home. But what happens What or, or what happened um, when Jason became an adult? Or when he went off to college, what happened when he was out of your view uh, as an adult? It was no longer part of your control or was no longer really part of your, quote unquote, business from his uh, in terms of what he did from day to day, keeping him busy. At that point, he should have known what to do. What did age 18 and over look like for you in terms of him keeping busy or him keeping himself um together well for me he was he was in he was in school and he was working so he stayed busy like that um and because he was still living with me at the time they went to church um that was my rule you live in my house you you still going to church (laughs) Um, um for me what I tried to instill in my sons at a very young age is for them to have faith in God. Without um, spiritual guidance, they needed to have something else to believe in besides me. Um, mm-hmm. And why I say that, both of my sons, and this is really, <laughs> this is really something um, very, very, very remarkable. Both of my sons at a very young age, uh, Jason, I think when he was about, maybe eight years old yeah eight years old after he decided not to go to his dad's anymore he came to me and he said mom you call me and I'm like no I'm not calling you and he goes I heard my name being called I said no it's not me so that was the first time he did that so then another time he came back to me again he said mama are you calling me and we're in the house now nobody's in this house but me him and his little brother and I think I think um my uh, my ex had gone to, uh, to work at that time. So it was just, just the three of us. And so, and I, I said, no, Jason. So when he walked away, I was, I was praying. I said, Lord, what is going on here? And my spirit man was saying, oh my God, that is the Lord trying to get his attention, but using my voice. Mm. And so, I was finding out that because my sons listen to me and they hear me, they would hear God if he used my voice to get their attention. Mm. Okay. So, so the next time he came to me and he said, mom, are you calling me? And I said, Jason, 
That's the Lord trying to get your attention. So go sit down, go spend some time and get quiet and see what it is he wants to say to you. And sure enough, <laughs> that's just what was going on. He come and came back. He said, Mama, how you know that was God trying to get my attention? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the same thing happened with my youngest son. And he was eight when it happened to him. Wow. And the Lord would use my voice to get their attention, to let them know, like he would he would guide them to them, don't do something they shouldn't have been doing or, or, or was thinking about doing. <laughs> yeah. So it's days like those that are in your memory. So when you think about what's happening right now, you can look back on those days and know that there's a certain level of anointing that they carry mm-hmm. and that the enemy wants to sift them like wheat exactly. because they are anointed and they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. But right now being up under attack um, especially Jason, the way that he is. And I'd like to talk about that if you're, um, if you're open to it, just, um, you know, he, we, we have already said he's already been, he was different. Miss Teresa knew it. She knew that he was very smart, wise young man. Um, and so by the time he, you know, became an adult and had different things going on, um, fast forward 30, age 36, when he ended up going to jail for something that he didn't do. Now she's got what she believes, this anointed young man of God. She's taught and raised both of her young men, uh, now adults. She raised them in the church. She raised them in the admonition of the Lord. And now once she gets her son into her custody after he comes out of prison, she has a different son. Miss Teresa, tell us about the changes that, or the metamorphosis that you saw uh, taking place in Jason. Well, um, to be honest, the more that I think about it, Dr. Leslie, I believe the change probably started happening before Jason even went to prison. Because okay. if you remember, he wasn't around me. He was in another state. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had a connection with my sons where we talked all the time. They would call me. Um, they would call me, uh, especially Jason. We've had a connection, a bond where we would talk. He would call me, Mama, how are you doing? Um, if he finds up getting a little frustrated, he would call me and say, Mom, I need you to pray for me. I'm, 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 I'm angry right now. I need you to pray. I need you to pray. And um, so he would call me when he would have one of those moments. And that went, that was going on prior to before he even went to jail. But it wasn't, you know, a lot. He just knew how to, he knew how to reach out to me when things wasn't going right with him. So he so knew how to call me. Did it ever alarm you like he he calls me too much or should he be making his own? Should he have been able to make this decision on his own? No, he was never calling me like that. (laughs) I wish. Okay. Okay. Now, once he left, um, once he uh, got grown and left, really, 
there was a period of one time I didn't hear from my son for probably maybe a year, a year or two. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear from him for about a year or two. And I just prayed and just had God just keep him in his hands. But I I could feel him. I knew if he was okay, if something wasn't right. And I and I would just say, even to this day, I, I would say, Lord, please have my son call me. And this is no lie. Do you know within the next day or two, that phone is going to ring. It's going to be my son. Mm-hmm. Whatever I ask the Lord to do, and God is good at that. I, I would say, Lord, I, I need to hear from him. I need to hear from him. And, and you, Lord, you know, Lord, I need to hear from him. And sure enough, he'll have him to call me. Um, so in that period that I didn't hear from him, I knew he was okay because I, I would I would I would pray and I would just feel it. I would just feel him. Mm-hmm. But I knew he needed that period to just not be be with his mom or talk to his mom or just needed to just be able to be the man he needed to be. At grow that up. Yes, grow up and be a man. And yeah. Now that was very big of you because a lot of mothers um find that to be challenging un- until he starts to pull on her too much when they start to pull too much. Uh, and you know, they know that this is time I'm tired. You need to be doing this on their own, on your own. That's usually when mothers can do that, but you know, past 18 mothers, there's still a place where they still want to have some kind of control. And of course, some mothers, they try to keep that control even after her son gets married, which is a no, no. Oh, yeah. Well, it was hard for me, but I was like, I had to really listen to that inner voice in me because mm-hmm. I didn't want to push him away and I didn't want to, you know, and I was like, wow, that's unusual for him to do that. But at the same time, like, you know what, he, this is what he needs for him. And I know he has to have that. And one thing I, I've learned with me and my sons, I'm a woman and he now is a man. And even as boys, I knew our personalities was different. I knew they didn't think like me and they didn't act like me. And I always try to get a male mentor around them to help them with the male part, you know, because I could nurture them and I could give them how to be the kindness and the compassion. But I also needed that man to teach them how to be the man how to be the man part. I can't teach them how to do that. I can never teach them how to do that. Yeah, right. And I knew that I was, I mean, no matter how much we want to, we as women, we got to accept the fact that you're raising, uh, you're raising a boy to be a man, you know, and he still has to be able to understand what it is to be a man. Yeah. If he never has that, he's not going to understand. So he's going to seek it outside. And he's going to go to me out there to find it. And Whoever Jason, gives him that attention. Yeah. They're going to get that attention. And Jason has a big heart, always has. And for some reason, he, he would always pull the most strangest people to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because he has his big heart, he always wanted to help others. You know, and he never looked down on nobody because he's always say he was fortunate to always get whatever he needed as a child. So if he saw somebody that didn't have something, he wanted to give it to him. You know, he wanted to mm-hmm. help them. 
even as a child, I remember he took a bag of clothes when he was little to get to this boy in his classroom. <laughs> Because the boy was wearing the same clothes every day. And he recognized that. And he recognized that. He said, Mama, I have a lot of stuff. Can I take him some of my clothes? And that just really touched my heart. And I was like, wow. And that's how he's always been. You know, um, but he tended, you know, there are some people that I wished he would just let them go on about their business. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because now they're a part of who you have to minister to and in, in helping him to deal with it. Exactly. You know, so th- those two years that he pretty much needed to grow up, I it, like I said, it was hard for me, but had I not had um, the strength and the faith that I had, uh, you know, it would it, it was still hard, but I for me, it was God kept me through, and I kept myself busy, you know, with my work and my other son and writing and just, you know, just praying and just staying in faith that, that God was keeping him, was going to take care of him. Yeah. And, and that's what I had to do, you know, but I knew he needed that, you know, um, it's just something, something your husband had said in, um, one of your podcasts, you know, um, as far as me and our no has to be no. And we, we have to let them go through their journey. Mm-hmm. That is so true. You know, we have to let them experience their, their, their pain, their happiness, their whatever they got to go through. We have to allow that no matter how much we don't want to allow it. We have to. Yes. And because you know what? More damage to them than anything. Yes. That's one reason Dr. Leslie Inspires exists, to help mothers through that, to help them through that process of letting go and letting them grow. Because to some women, it can be so difficult that they make their own lives miserable, trying to constantly save him and go after him to help him to make the the right decisions. Ultimately, he's responsible for his decisions and teaching them every step of the way. So the best thing to do, which uh, in my book, we talk about uh, the chrysalis, which is allowing them to go through that struggle, allowing them to make their own mistakes, even when we can see ahead. Because I think what we try to do is say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And so sometimes we can say it. And other times we can say it and they still do it. And, you know, we can't lose sleep all the time over that bad decision that we know they're going to make. And prayerfully, you know, we can get them uh, younger. We can start teaching them younger so that they don't make as many, I should say, dumb mistakes because it, it boils down to critical thinking and it boils down to what some of us say dumb mistakes. That was some others say, boy, that was stupid. What in the world were you thinking? Or boy, that was dumb. You know, so we can see certain things, and mothers do say that. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, you know, you you it's the first thing that comes out because you can already see why in the world. Did you do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That's what you want to say sometimes. And many mothers do say it. But sometimes it's a matter of 
I'm going to bite my tongue and I'm going to keep my peace and I'm going to let you make the mistakes. And when you want my opinion, I'm here. I think for me, both of my sons taught me. And I think for me, um, I had to pay attention to them. I had to really listen to them. And I think sometimes we as mothers don't want to listen to them. We mm-hmm. we want to tell ourselves we know better, we know more. Um, yeah. You know, because I'm older than you, I'm your mother, or I have more experience. But sometimes we need to actually listen to them. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I shared that story. I think I did share a story with you when my sons actually had to tell me, Mama, will you let go of us? <laughs> Um, I had smothered them. So um, I, because it was just the three of us at one time and I'm raising boys. And when I first moved out here to California, I had, everybody had told me about how bad it was, how the gang was out here. And I was like, oh my God, I, I gotta just, you know, really watch my sons. I can't let nobody, you know, hurt them. And, you know, just the fact that I didn't, I didn't want them to be hurt and, you know, I figured they had gone through enough rejection and abandonment, a bunch of this, this, this. And, you know, this mother, me, you know, needed to just watch over them, I, I felt. And um, I remember my my son saying to me, and I think he was 12 or 13, he said, Mom, how will we know what you taught us and how to do the right thing if you won't let us? get out there and experience anything <laughs> if you're watching us 24 7 if you're smothering us or holding us how will we know what to do and i never get when he asked me that and i was like wow a, a child leading adult here <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what happens but that's that's the time to do it you know especially when they ask now some sons they don't they'll continue to take Uh, The advice, they'll continue to take the financial help all the way through adulthood. They'll continue to, you know, they'll just continue um, and and not really want to grow up. You know, so that that was admirable at age 12, 13 to actually say that. Well, and and that was the thing, you know, um, it was still hard for me, but I, I, I put I took the gloves off and I pulled back. I stepped back, but I still let them know there are still rules, you know, you can't just be doing whatever you want to do and, and, and not listen. And they didn't. I mean, uh, when I moved here, I never get, I got so many compliments about how they say yes, ma'am and no ma'am. And it was like, I've never heard kids say that to no parents. Even to this day, my sons are grown and they still say yes, ma'am and no ma'am to me. And I think that has to do with the fact where we was raised in the Midwest, you know, I still say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, to my mom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, that's just how we are raised to talk to adults. Uh, my sons say that not just to me, they say it to adults, period, yeah. you know, it's just out of respect. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, I, like I said, it, it was, it was hard for me, but with Jason, uh, I noticed, like I said, when, when the change came and when he, you know, was different, he went from being this very nice person to respect, respectful person to being totally disrespectful, 
um, cussing you out. Um, once, once he went to jail and got out of jail, he is like a whole switch. It's like something just mm-hmm. switched in him. Wow. It's like something just switched in him. And um, when they told me they had him on four or five different medications or antipsychotic drugs, and I'm like, what did you diagnose him with? And they show me this paper, you know, PTSD, anxiety, bipolar. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, wow. Now, PTSD, yes. Uh, I believe he had that before he went to jail because he was involved in a real horrific car accident two years prior to that. And I believe he suffered some some brain injury. Um, And that's why I said I know he had changed maybe two years prior to that. Um, And I don't believe that the hospital actually really did much uh, examine on him when it come to his head part. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I noticed a difference in his mood. Even then, I noticed when he'd be in the car, he would have anxiety really bad. his his car was on the news. That's how bad his car wreck was. His car had flipped over 15 times when he was on his way to work. I can't remember if a, if a semi bumped his rear car rear part of his car and made the tire blow out or what happened, but all I know is that my son's my son uh, hit an embankment and flipped the car flipped over and rolled over 15 times with him in it. And when it finally landed, he was he was laying upside down in the car. Um, and everybody everybody said, he's dead, he's dead. They just knew he, he was dead. What was in that car was dead. Um, now, prior to that morning when that happened, um, Dr. Les, I had a dream. I had a dream about my son. Um, and I, I woke up just praying for my son. I woke up just praying and just, I had this real feeling that something horrific was happening. And I just started just, I got out of my bed and I just started praying. I was praying and crying, praying and crying, praying and crying. And then I just got this peace and I just laid back down. And then um, all of a sudden I get a phone call. Um, it was um, the nurse or the doctor or someone was calling me. And they told me they had my son in the hospital and um, we're not for sure if he's going to pull through right now, um, but we just uh, pulled, um, he was in a, a, a car wreck. We will get back with you and let you know more details. Mm. And so I just hung the phone up and I said, nope, he's going to be okay. I'm not even going to worry about it. I said, now I know I had that dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, he's going to be fine. And I said, Lord, you just told my son's going to be fine. I'm trusting you and your word and he's going to be fine. Um, little did I know Jason, when after all this, he told me um, when it was happening, he said he was praying and calling my name. When the car was flipping over, he was saying, mama. And he was, you know, uh, saying, and he was saying, God, don't let me, don't let my mama uh, find my body burned up in this car. I don't want my mother's last 
uh, vision of me seeing me burned up. This is what my son said he's saying as the car is flipping over, mm. as his hand is up on top of the, the roof. And he's saying, don't let my mother see my body burnt like this. I don't want her last vision to see her, her firstborn child like that. And he's like, Lord, please don't let me die like this. And so as the car flipped over, he said, and he's as he's sitting there, he said, somebody kicked the window out mm. and pulled him out and, and laid him on the, on the hill. Um, and he just laid there. He said, a person had on a black shirt and black pants. And he could look up and he saw people kind of stand up there on, on the highway on the sides looking down. But the person that pulled him out, you know, uh, said to him, uh, your mother would never forgive me if I left you in that car. And he said, the person walked away. Wow. I told my son that was an angel that came to get you. Mm. Because the lady at the top said that she never saw anybody pull him out. <laughs> wow. You know what, Ms. Teresa? That's odd that you would say that because my daughter was in a car accident uh, in April of this year, a bad accident. And, and the guy, it was at four in the morning and there was a gentleman who was in his car driving behind her coming from work. And he saw the whole thing and her car turned over. Her car was on two wheels at one point. He said it was like nobody was driving it. He said, I stayed wow. behind it because I'm thinking, no, I mean, whoever is in there, they could not be alive. Right. And to this day, I told her, um, I believe an angel came yes. and kept that car from going over the embankment yes. of the be of the uh road. And then when it was on two wheels, I feel like an angel. They were they were, even though it seemed out of control, they were the ones who kept it in control. And exactly yes. what you said, I feel like that's what happened. Yes. There are people don't realize there are angels. There are most definitely angels. I'm telling you, my son told me, he said, mom, he said, he said, he pulled me out of the car and he said to me, even to this day, Jason will tell you the same thing. He said, this is what he said to me. Your mother would never forgive me if I left you in that car. Mm. And when the, when the police had said all this, they said the window was broken from the outside. The window mm. was kicked in from the outside, but they never saw anybody down there. Mm -hmm. And how do you explain being still being alive through that exactly exactly and you know the, the enemy's been trying to kill jason uh several times and that's how i know he has a calling on his life you know um and it's for him to he just gotta just push through all of this he just gotta just know that mm. that god is with him and i know it's really it's hard because it, it was hard for me to see how things turned out. I mean, Dr. Leslie, for you, you would have to actually see what my backyard looked like. My son had, had gotten to the point where he was living in his car after when the pandemic started, it affected my son. It, it affected, well, it affected all of us. But when you have mental things, illness going on and things going on, um, a sudden shift in your lifestyle, in your 
in your everyday environment, it could trigger things in you. Mm -hmm. As people don't understand, when you have PTSD and you have other things going on, certain things can trigger you to just not be the same anymore. Yeah. And so it when he was working, he worked that year um, when he first got out. Uh, he had a job. Now, in the first three months that I had him with me, it was it was like having a little child in my house. Mm. He was having night terrors. He would he would scream out at night. I'd have to go in his room and lay my hand on his head and say, "It's me, it's Mama. I'm here with you. I'm here with you." So, prison is not a place for no one to be. I don't. I worked in a prison, and it's not a pretty place. It's not a nice place. They say it's supposed to rehabilitate people. Majority of the time, it makes them worse than what they were when they went in. And it's by the grace of God that will bring you out of there saying. And that's why I know God put me in the prison. He put me in because I was facilitating groups, uh, anger management, social skills groups. I was doing groups with these guys that felt like they had no one to talk to. God put me in their lives just as my son was in prison. I'm in a prison working because God knew I was going to have to deal with my son when he came home. That wasn't a coincidence. <laughs> right. That's right. Wow. So I got to see what it was like on. in a prison. We could I'm sorry, go, what you said. I was saying we could go on and on, but I think we're about at that um, hour mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I want to like get ready to wrap it up and okay. prepare for your next one because you are also an author and you've um you were an author in a book with several other authors and you're also mm -hmm. um authoring your own book. I am my sister's keeper and power of God's love. And I see tears in a bottle that I wrote down. Um we want to have you back on as part two to talk about those books. Is that okay? Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. So as we close, uh, because, uh, you, you know, sometimes when I listen to podcasts, I sometimes feel like, oh, that one was too short. I want more. I want more. And then some others are, are longer um, but this one, I feel like we can keep going, but I just want to prepare to close by allowing you to just give some words of wisdom or even to say a little more about Jason and maybe what's going on with him. Now, I, I really want to hear more about how you managed, how you managed or did not uh, manage the situation because many mothers feel obligated or they feel, you know, when there's a time and they just don't know, um, maybe you just want to give some, some words of wisdom or encouragement or just tell how you managed to cope with that situation as he was dealing with the PTSD, the bipolar, the night terrors uh, when he came out of jail. How did you deal with it? And do you have any advice 
for any other mothers who are listening to your podcast right now? You know, Dr. Leslie, um, how I manage and even to this day is, is trying to stay calm, um, trying my best to um, remember that it's not about me and that um, my son um, really need, needed help professionally and that I needed to be able to be okay with seeking help. Sometimes we get afraid and not wanting to tell people what's going on or not wanting to talk about things. And I also needed to have a sounding board for me. I needed to have um, mm. I needed to have those those women that surrounded me or those people that surrounded me that kept me strong and kept mm -hmm. me filled so I could keep being the strength and keep being the person I needed to be because emotionally and mentally and physically is draining to watch someone you love hurt um, and feeling helpless. Um, mm -hmm. This is what I was trained to do. I was trained to help others get through, um, you know, um, pain and help get through um, issues that they're going through. But I'm a mother before I am um, a counselor or a therapist or mental health worker. I'm a mother first, but I'm also a person first. I'm also a woman before I became a mother. And I have to take care of me first. I have to remember I have to be well enough to be able to help somebody else you know and so if I give any kind of advice I would tell um, people to remember it please take care of yourself first because you won't be no good if you can't take care of you you won't be no good to take care of no one else it was very hard to watch my son go through uh, what he went through but staying calm and being able to for me spiritually seek God's help and stay in prayer because prayer changes everything. So when he would have his night terrors, I would go in a room and I would make sure, you know, that he wasn't swinging out or hitting or anything. His night terrors was mainly him crying out. He would cry and he would always cry my name. So I would lay my hand on him and I was let him know I'm here. And I would say, I'm here. I'm here. Once he heard my voice, it was like he would calm down. So when he calmed down, I would just pray over him. And then I would go in the next room and then I would I would just pray. But emotionally, it was, I would cry. And um, in, in my book, I'm My Sister's Keeper, um, my story, Tears in a Bottle, it talks about that. I cried many tears, you know, for my son. But knowing that God would get me through it, my tears was not in vain. And you have to have, you have to have some kind of help. You have to seek help. You have to seek, if you, you can't do it alone and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't be afraid not to share. You just got to know who to share with. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You can't share with everybody. <laughs> that's right. People can be judgmental. Yes. 
not understand the the shoes that you're walking in. And if they got in your shoes, they wouldn't last one mile. <laughs> no, and I've had many people say that to me. I mean, how do you do what you do? And I tell them all the time with prayer. My strength is with prayer because there's there's times I'm tired. There's time I'm praying. I'm like, God, I can't do this. It's too much. It's too much. Especially when you watch your son living in a car with trash on him like a homeless person. You watch your mm-hmm. son get up and walking around, go from 220 pounds to 89 pounds. Mm. You watch your son... Um, who would never talk to you any kind of way, but also he's cussing at you, telling you that he would kill you. (laughs) Yeah. When they get like that, you have to just know when to pick your battle. You can't can't be cussing at them and going off on them. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. have to know how to pick your battle with them. That's when you better turn it over to Jesus. Yes. Not at that point. That is a good time. Yes. You have to know how to pick your battle and you have to just trust. You have to trust your instinct and you have to love them through, love them through the pain is what I say. Love them through the pain. Yeah. Do you love them from the pain up close or afar when you are? Sometimes you got to do it both. You got to know when to step away. Mm -hmm. Mm. You got to know when to step away because if it if it's gonna cause you danger, you gotta know when to walk away. Yeah. Even if it's your child, you gotta know when to walk away. For me, I had to actually finally walk away. I had to finally, after two years, I had to I had to finally step back because you can only do so much when you've gotten all the help you could get for them, and you see that it's still not changing, still not getting no better. Nothing is changing and they're constantly coming at you because the enemy will use you to get attacked. Mm-hmm. You know, he will use you and you can't take it personally. We got to stay out of our emotions. I had to learn to stay out of my emotions. <laughs> I had to learn not to take it personally because I'm like, am I a bad mother? Am I such a bad mother? <laughs> mm. Oh, my goodness. Good point. <laughs> I hear that so much. But no, you're not a bad mother. <laughs> you are, it's, it's the fact that you are a loving mother, that you have been there and tolerated what you tolerated. Because mm-hmm. a bad mother would have walked away a long time ago. <laughs> right. A bad mother would have never been there in the first place. And that's what we have to remember. You know, we, we can't let them, those... Uh, Voices get in our head and twist lies in our head. Mm. We can't let the lies uh, become true in our head. That's right. So we have to self-talk ourselves. And my son right now to this day, he's, um, my son is homeless right now. Mm -hmm. My son is homeless. Um, He don't want help. He has, he has told them, I don't need y'all to help me. And the system that we in right now in today's society, um, they won't make them get help. <laughs> Mm-mm. If they turn the help down, they cannot help them. That's right. 
And we are seeing that more and more. One time we um we called the police uh, on this one man. He I don't think he was I think he was homeless, but uh, he was around the school area and he was just crying out for help, crying out for help. Kind of had a blind man stick. Mm-hmm. And once he got somebody said, well, I'll help him. Uh, and they ended up calling the police. And I'll just say, John, you know, we once the police got there, you know, they came and they said, you know, because he kept saying that they won't help me. They won't help me. He said, we know John. We know him. He's always down on such and such street. Every time we try to help him and get him to go to the shelter or someplace to get help, he refuses the help. So he wants to be out here. And the police, they know him. They know, I should say them. So I would imagine that <laughs> yeah, they, they do. Know their son, you know, because they do try to help. And like you said, they refuse the help. And many times people find that it's unbelievable, but that they would. But it's usually some kind of mental health issue. Yes. And what can they do? Like you said, they have to agree to it. You know, yes, they do. Yes, they do. And, and they can't and they can't make them get help. I mean, I've actually. I've actually taken my son. Um, he actually has a counselor that's called. They've called me and they won't even talk to me unless he give them permission to talk to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what, um, Teresa, this, I mean, this is another podcast, but I, I will end um, by saying this. You brought up some very, very good points. And I thank you. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your heart and so much of what you are going through and have gone through. You know, I've been over here just choked up. I'm glad the cameras were off. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, this kind comes out through praying and fasting is what I'm hearing. And what happens is (laughs) there's so much uh, of a demonic attack on our young men. Yes. We really have to understand what that kind of warfare looks like for them. Even though we're praying, there's some other things that we're going to have to do so that they can be shaken loose back to their right mind. Yes. You want yes. Jason back to him because he's here. He yes. survived the accident. He survived prison. He survived all these things that a lot of other men or people have not survived. So right. he still has a calling on his life, you know, to be, you know, what that reminds me of something else. One time I, I did a home visit to someone that I was working with and this boy would come in and out and he would be telling me about this other person that was inside of him. And so one day, another young man walked past him and he started, you know, saying things to him. And the young man who it was like maybe 90 some odd degrees out and he had on some, he had on something that was too hot. So the question is, why are you wearing that in five degrees out? So something is not right with that. Right. But he said to the young man that uh, I was working with, um, 
he said, uh, because the guy said something to him and he said, brother, you need Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now. All them demons that's on you and talking through you. He said, oh, yeah, I know where you are. I know what what you're dealing with and you need to stop it right now. Just need to make a good decision. You can't fool me. He just started saying all this stuff about like what I knew. And the young man that I was working with, he got so mad, but he had to shut up and listen. And he said, "Um, what you need to do is repent. And you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness because that's what I had to do. Oh, I know what you're dealing with. That's what you need to do, brother. That's what you need to do. And he walked off. And so, you know, the but I knew what he was saying was true. But I'm thinking, does he have some mental health issues or does he or was that a, a, that God that, you know, freed him up for that moment to, you know what I mean? Exactly. He did. <laughs> right. Well, it's just like Jason. Jason will call me and talk just as normal. And then the next day he'll call me back and he'll cuss me out. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. So we're dealing with some stuff. And, you know, God anointed you to 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 deal with it and go through it. Uh, And it seems like you are. I think I'm going to entitle this when the therapist needs a therapist. I know this. (laughs) (laughs) What to do when the therapist needs a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Because you said at the beginning, many people don't think, you know, everybody needs somebody to that they trust. Yes. To talk to and work yes. through and not feel judged yes. in the situation. Yes. You know, because who knows where you would be if you didn't have, if you didn't want trust in God and knew without a shadow of a doubt that He was going to bring you through. You know, and God, He He sends you little nuggets, He sends you little signs that hey, we just keep on going. We're working through this. You're almost there. You're almost there. Because it's not for you, Teresa. It's for you to share and help to bring somebody else out is for Jason to share his testimony so that when he comes out, he can bring somebody else out. Exactly. Dr. Leslie, he puts people like you in my life that help me to put a voice to my, to my issues, to my pain, to whatever is going on so I can help others, you know, um, it is it's a healing it's a healing um yes. it's a healing yeah. tool you know see we're able to fill each other up see when when you pour into me it 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 rejuvenates me where i'm able to keep going and then i can pour into somebody and do the same thing to them so they can keep going that's right you know so that's why i said we we can't be afraid to allow when God put people in our lives, put them in our lives for a reason. And so we may need to be poured into at that moment. You don't know what's coming on down the line, but he knows, yeah. you know, just like I knew about, I didn't know why he wanted me to work at that prison. And then the next, the following year, I get a phone call. My son's in jail. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, so I, I learned some things from these inmates Yes. Yes. You know, they taught me a lot of stuff. Had I not experienced that, there's no telling what would have happened when I 
first talked to my son or when my son got out, I knew how to handle him um, better. I knew what to say to him and what not to say to him. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, woo-hoo! we can keep going and keep going. <laughs> we are going to stop right here. I'm going to, um, well, actually, Miss Teresa, can you close us out? in prayer on today as we close, and then I will get back with you so that we can uh, set up the next one. Okay, well, I wanna say this. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart and thank you for giving me the chance. And I hope I was able to answer what you needed me to answer. Oh my gosh. You answered so many questions that mothers have, that mothers can't ask anybody. But you shared it today. You shared your heart and probably freed some people up, uh, freed some mothers up who just felt like, I don't know what else to do. And you also allowed them to know that they are not alone. And that is the key because they think they're the only ones going through this. For today, you, you touched on so many different angles, so many different avenues of what mothers are going through that. I cannot thank you enough. You hit on more than I can ask and or think. And I thank you. So if you can go ahead. Thank you, Dr. Leslie. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing opportunity for your truth, Heavenly Father. Not my truth, but your truth. I thank you, Hanny Father, that you gave me the strength, Hanny Father, to share, Hanny Father, that you gave me the strength, Hanny Father, to walk through this journey, Hanny Father. There is nothing too hard for you, Hanny Father. Sometimes we have to go through um, different mountains that we jump from one to the next, Henny Father, but then there's a valley that we go through, Henny Father, that is experienced for us, but that you bring us out of, Henny Father. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will continue to help us go through what we need to go through and come out of it, because there's always a light at the end of that tunnel. There is no storm too hard for you. There is no trial or tribulation too hard for you. There is nothing that you cannot do. So I thank you, Henny Father, that you will continue, Henny Father, to watch over each and every one of us, Henny Father. I thank you, Henny Father, for Dr. Leslie, Henny Father, for giving her the obedience, Henny Father, to do what it is you have called her to do, Henny Father, to be that voice, Henny Father, for so many mothers Henny Father, who was going through the things with their sons, Henny Father, but it's you, Lord Jesus, that's guiding the way. And I thank you, Henny Father, you would continue, Henny Father, to show us what to do and how to do it, Henny Father. I know I'm willing, Henny Father, and I know Dr. Leslie is willing. I thank you, Henny Father, that you would continue, Henny Father, to bless all of those who are listening, Henny Father, that they... For those that don't know you, Henny Father, they will come to know you, Henny Father. And that they, those that know you, Henny Father, will not be afraid to come to you, Henny Father, and say, Lord, I need your help, Henny Father. Help me, Henny Father. Hope is a very powerful, Henny Father. As long as we have hope, we won't go wrong. And Henny Father, I thank you, Henny Father, for allowing me, Henny Father, continue to hope and know that my son will come out of this because you are walking with him. 
And I thank you, Henny Father. You would continue all those sons out there, Henny Father, that need you, Henny Father. All those mothers that need you, Henny Father. Walk with them, Heavenly Father. Let them know that you will never leave them or forsake them. And I thank you. This I ask in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Miss Teresa, once again. <laughs> and uh, we shall talk soon. Yes, we will. <laughs> Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dr. Leslie Inspires. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Also, for more content and resources, please be sure to visit our website, www.drlesslieinspires.com. We'll see you in the next episode.